So there was one of the songs we sang, it said, uh, I lift you high in the, in the lowest valley. And uh, I had to think about that because sometimes when we're in the lowest valley, the last thing we want to do is lift God high. Uh, uh, I don't know about you, but I've been in some low valleys in my life, and I think we all have. But anyway, uh, Thursday evening, uh, I kind of got into a valley uh, Thursday evening. Uh, Sister Wang in the Philippines, I'm supposed to be going to the Philippines in uh, three weeks from tomorrow. And uh, one of the highlights of this trip is, uh, is attending the wedding of a pastor. And um, his wedding is three weeks after... Uh, they want me there for uh, Holy Week because Holy Week in the Philippines is a holiday and everybody's off work. So they have a big, uh, they have a big gathering. They'll rent a, a, a place out on a beach somewhere. A hundred people or 200 people will come and they want me to be there to, to minister. And so my trip is already three weeks long, which is really the longest I like to be gone. It's actually three weeks in a day. And uh, it's pretty difficult to be gone that long, to be honest with you. It's sometimes difficult for my wife. Last uh, year in April, uh, there was a windstorm and a tree blew down over our driveway. She couldn't even get out of the driveway till she hired somebody with a chainsaw to because uh, I wasn't home. So anyway, uh, so anyway, Thursday, Sister Wang is is saying, uh, I need to get your tickets uh, to go to Palawan because that's where the wedding's going to be uh, on that island. And uh, and she says, by the way, there's no way that you can catch your flight back to America from Manila unless you miss the wedding. And I went. Well, that's a bummer. You're going to have to leave like early in the morning of the day of the wedding. And I'm thinking, I'm already going to be gone three weeks and a day. Uh, I'm already gone longer than I want to be gone. Uh, I don't think I want to change my Alaska Airlines flight to Seattle and my Korean Airlines flight to to the Philippines. Um just buy me a ticket. I guess I'll miss the wedding. So she bought me a ticket. And uh, so I go to bed and, you know, and Giselle's saying, boy, that's, that's bad, you know. And I'm going, yeah, I feel really bad, you know. But I'm already going to be gone three weeks in a day, and that's a long time to be gone. So anyway, the next morning I wake up, and, and I have my normal prayer time, and the Holy Spirit starts speaking to me. And he says, Bob, you're looking at things wrong. I went, okay. He says, you're thinking about yourself instead of the pastor that's getting married that you're going to dishonor by not being there. And I went, okay, Lord. And I thought about that, and I said, you know, I just got to change my flights. And so I did. I changed my Alaska Airlines flight, changed my Korean Airlines flight. I still don't know if Sister Wang has changed my flight from Plowin or not. Uh, anyway.
she said not to worry. So, but uh, sometimes we have to make hard decisions. But I thank the Lord that He speaks to us and helps us. It's good to have a prayer life, Amen. Because the Lord, the Lord spoke to me, the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and gave me a different perspective on what was happening here. That I would be dishonoring the the, the pastor and his and his bride by not being there, and I was just thinking about myself, and uh, and I'm putting them first not worrying about the extra cost for the airline changes and all the extra inconvenience of being gone an extra day. Giselle said, hey, it's only one extra day anyway. Don't worry about it. So anyway, that's my story. Now I'm going to talk about the Holy Spirit. How about that? Okay, this is a three-part message, and you get all three parts today, okay? (laughs) You get all three parts today. Okay, so um, get your Bibles out. Well, first part is I'm going to uh, is entitled. Oh, and the title of the message is "Living Water." We're going to talk about water today. But before we do that, the first part of the message is Jesus and the Holy Spirit are one. Okay, we got to get that in into our understanding that God, Jesus, actually the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, they're all one. They're, they're one God, three persons, one God. So let's look at 2 Corinthians three, seventeen, and then we're going to turn to John 14, but first we're going to look at 2 Corinthians three seventeen to 18. And... Uh, We need to understand that Jesus and the Holy Spirit are one. So, 2 Corinthians three seventeen to 18. Now the Lord, meaning Jesus, is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror. Where did I just hear that scripture? Wow. So take the veil off your face and look in that mirror, okay? Look at the glory of the Lord and be transformed in the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit are one. Now, let's look at John 14, 15 to 18. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, we're, we're talking about the Spirit of Jesus. The Spirit that Jesus had was the Holy Spirit. John 14, 15 to 18. Now, we could read the whole chapter of John 14 and get a more context, but I'll just try to, um, oh, we don't have time to do that. So, we're going to start in verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commands. So, very, uh, very important here, we have to love God. 
Number one. Commandment number one. Love God. Love God. And if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Well, commandment number one is loving God. So if we love God, we're keeping his number one commandment, which is to love him. Uh, It's kind of like, if you don't love me, you're not really keeping my commands. But if you love me, you're moving in the right direction. Amen? And, uh, And I will ask the Father. So Jesus says, if you love me, he will ask the Father, and the Father will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Now, Jesus, he was on earth for 33 years approximately, and then he went back up to the Father. And he's in John 14, he's telling his disciples, I'm going to go back to the Father now. And they're all kind of sad because... Uh, They've been with him for three years, and uh, they don't want him to leave. They think he's going to be the king of Israel, and they're going to be his prime minister and his head of and his uh, foreign ministers and his uh, department heads, and um, maybe they'll be on the Supreme Court. You know, they're they're just like, where are you going, Jesus? Oh, I'm going back to the Father. But don't worry, Uh, he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. So Jesus is saying, look, I'm, I'm taking off. I've done what I'm, uh, I'm, I'm about ready to go to the cross. I just about finished my, uh, my task here. And I'm going to go back to the Father, but don't worry. I'm going to send the comforter, the counselor. He's the spirit of truth. I'm going to send him. And he's going to be with you how long? Forever. Does that mean the day after you die, he's going to leave you? No, he's going to be with you forever. Does that mean he's going to be with you tonight? Yes, he's with you forever. Okay, so let's look at verse 17. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. Remember, we're looking in that mirror. Uh, The... When the world, the unsaved people look in that mirror, they don't see God, but we see him, and we know him. They're going, wait a minute, we don't know the Holy Spirit. And they said, we don't know the Father. And Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. They're going, huh? They're going, what is Jesus talking about? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Well, they're not talking about physical sight. They're talking about from their heart, spiritually. Amen? Okay, so let me finish this this, uh, sentence here. Verse 17. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. So Jesus says, look, I'm going away. But then he says in verse 18, I am not leaving you as orphans. I am coming to you. So how does Jesus come to him? He leaves in his body. His body floats up into the clouds, it says in Acts chapter 1. His body floats up into the clouds. 
And then on the day of Pentecost, he comes back to them in the, by the Spirit. Verse 18 is very good to understand. I will not leave you as orphans. I am coming to you. But he doesn't come in his body again. He comes in the Spirit. The Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. So when the Spirit of God is present in our midst, Jesus is present in our midst. Amen? And when you dishonor the Holy Spirit, you dishonor Jesus. Because they're one. And when you honor the Holy Spirit, you're honoring Jesus. And when you... uh, I love... uh, Simon getting up last week and, and saying, wow, there's a, an awful lot in the Bible about the Holy Spirit. And the more that you try to find everything in the Bible about the Holy Spirit, the, the more you discover, wow, there's a whole lot more about the Holy Spirit in here than I thought there was. And so keep studying. Amen? Because... Uh, The more you learn about the Holy Spirit, the more you learn about Jesus, because they're one. You know, Jesus wasn't always a a physical man on the earth. He's existed with the Father for eternity as a spiritual being. And he became a physical uh, person. And then he went back up to heaven. In his physical body, he still has that physical body. But God is spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Amen? Okay, now we're going to look at rivers or streams of living water. Let's go to John 7, 38 and 39. John 7, 38 and 39. Rivers of living water. We're going to try to find out what is a river of living water. My goodness. What is the Bible talking about? Let's see if we can put a, get a grasp of what the Bible's talking about. Okay, John seven thirty eight to 39. The one who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, so that means it says it somewhere in the Old Testament. That's what that means, as the Scripture has said. Will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. He said this about the Spirit. Those who believed in Jesus were going to receive the Spirit, for the Spirit had not yet been received because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So, it says that the Spirit is a river of living water. The Bible is a book of pictures. So there aren't literal rivers of water flowing out of our inner beings. But it's a figurative, it's a picture. And the Bible, the, especially the Hebrew part of the Bible, the Old Testament, the Hebrews think in terms of pictures more than in concepts. They, 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 they picture concepts with pictures. So the Bible says that we're the sheep of his pasture. Well, we're not sheep, we're people. But the Bible pictures us as sheep of his pasture. So, you know, God created sheep to 
teach us what we're like. He created uh, goats to teach us what unbelievers are like. It's true. You know, God created nature to speak to us. And uh, he didn't say, uh, you're the elephants of my uh, savannah. He said, you're the sheep of my pasture. So you picture sheep, you picture a pasture, and you picture a shepherd, and the sheep hear hear, respond to the shepherd's voice. Jesus is the shepherd. So the Bible is full of pictures. And so here we have a picture. The Holy Spirit is a river of living water that flows from deep within us. Now, actually, the Greek that's translated deep within us is actually, uh, the Greek is belly or the bowels. Because the Greeks, they thought that's the seat of your uh, innermost being. We would say uh, it flows out of your heart. You know, in our understanding, we, we picture the heart as the, the, our innermost being. The Greeks, they, they did the, the bowels. So anyway, uh, let's look at the first mention of rivers. So living, rivers of living water is a picture. So let's try to figure out what does this picture. So the first example of rivers, first mention of rivers in the Bible is in Genesis chapter 2, way back in the beginning. Way back. Anything that's in the first couple chapters of Genesis is very significant because it's talking about the beginning. The the foundation of the human race that God created. So anyway, Genesis chapter 2, verses 10 to 14. You following me? Okay. And a river, so this is the first mention of river in the Bible. Genesis chapter 2, verse 10. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted and became four main streams. The name of the one is Pison. That is it which surrounds the whole land of Havilah, where the, the gold is. And the gold of that land is good. Delium and ox, onyx stones are there. And the name of the second river is Gihon. That is it which surrounds the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is Hittikel. That is it which flows forward towards Asher. And the fourth river, that is Euphrates. Now, um, in the Middle East, we got the Tigris and the Euphrates River. So the Hittikel is probably the Tigris. So from where they think the Garden of Eden was, you can, you can picture, okay, um, those two rivers kind of, sort of, kind of come down from wherever they think Eden was. But... Uh, this one that uh, um, in the whole land of Cush, Cush normally refers to Ethiopia, which is in Africa. And uh, the, the first one, uh, the land of Havilah, they think that's maybe in Saudi Arabia. 
but they, they really don't know. But anyway, picture a river now. A river never parts and becomes four rivers. Uh, lots of streams will come together to make a river, but the river, once it's a river, it's a river. And when it gets into the estuary, it might make a few branches. But a, one river doesn't branch into four rivers. But that's what this says here. There's a river, and it became four rivers. So you have to understand that this is metaphorical. It's a picture. And what is it picture? It's picturing this river that's coming out of the Garden of Eden, going to the four corners of the world. That's what it's picturing. Something good is coming out of Eden. It's a river. Rivers bring life. And you can't map these rivers to make any sense geographically. But what it's talking about is what is coming out of Eden, God is sending into the four corners of the earth. Does that make sense? And so, um, <coughs> excuse me. So, um, but see, what was coming out of Eden, Adam blew it. He sinned. If he hadn't sinned, this uh, this river would have been a river of life, but it became a river of death. And what went into the four corners of the world was death. And so uh, the whole world um, is under the curse of sin because Adam blew it. So what was coming out of Eden was meant for good, but it ended up um, creating much evil. Okay, so... Um, that's the first mention of river. But let's look at the first mention of living water because the Holy Spirit is a picture of living water. So this is in Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, the first mention of living water. Living water basically is water that is moving. It's a river or a fountain. It is not a stagnant pool or a cistern or marshes. And its first use is in Jeremiah 2, verse 13. Now, Jeremiah was upset with the people of Israel because they were backslidden. So that's the context here in Jeremiah chapter 2. For my people have committed a double evil they have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that cannot hold water. A cistern was just a, a hole in the ground where they could store rainwater, and they would line it with rocks so it wouldn't just percolate into the ground. But, you know, in the dry season and the hot season, it just came, became pretty stagnant. So it says that God is speaking now, and he says, my people have abandoned me, and I'm the fountain of living water. So God is saying, he is the fountain of living water. And in, the, and in, the, and in John, we see that the Holy Spirit is equated with a river of living water coming out of us. 
So living water refers to God. It can refer to God the Father, God the Son, or God the Holy Spirit. They're all, they're, they're one God. Amen? And uh, they're different persons, and they got different, uh, you know, they're, they're different persons. Uh, hard to describe, but they're one. So in Jeremiah, we see that a fountain or a river of living water, anyway, living water just means water that's moving. So it can be in a river, it can be in a fountain, it can be in your inner belly. But if it's in your inner belly, it's going to move. You got that? If the Holy Spirit's in there, he's going to move. He's not going to become stagnant because he's a river of living water. There's a river of living water inside our innermost beings if we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And and living water moves. Amen? It moves. Like the pastor says, it looks in that mirror uh, and, and sees God, and it keeps looking because it wants to apprehend God. Amen? Okay, so... Zechariah 14.8 is another reference to living water. And there's another one too that I won't mention, but let's turn to Zechariah 14.8. Most of the pictures in the New Testament you can find them in the Old Testament. And when you see a picture in the New Testament, okay, we talked about sheep, The, you know, you can turn to Psalm 23, the good shepherd. It talks about the good shepherd. All the pictures in the New Testament are found in the Old Testament. And when you go back to the Old Testament and study them in the Old Testament, then you get a big, big better idea of what the picture is really picturing. Pictures, picture something. Is that profound or what? I love it. Okay, Zechariah 14.8. On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem. Half of it towards the eastern sea, that means the Dead Sea, and the other half towards the western sea, that's the Mediterranean in summer and winter alike. On that day, living water will flow out from Jerusalem, half of it towards the eastern sea and the other half towards the western sea, in summer and winter alike. Now in chapter 14, Zechariah describes the day of the Lord. The river of life that was meant to flow from Eden will flow from the temple of God which will be in Jerusalem. The day of the Lord speaks of when the Lord comes back and uh, um, the devil is defeated and God establishes his throne in Jerusalem. So what was meant to be in the beginning with Adam where the river would flow to the four corners of the earth, that got stopped because Adam sinned. What God meant will come to pass eventually. It's in the it's in the uh, it's in the future still. 
In the Middle East, rivers dry up in the hot summer months, but the river of God will never cease flowing, it says, once Jesus destroys all his enemies on the day of the Lord. It's going to go to the east, and it's going to go to the west. It's basically saying the same thing. It's going to go into all the world. And uh, when we talk about different parts of the world today, we talk about the east and we talk about the west. You know, there's the Western world and there's the Eastern world. And uh, this river of living water is going to flow out from Jerusalem, from the temple of God. We're, in the New Testament, we are called the temple of God. And so the Holy Spirit is meant to flow from us into all the world. Now, one more, Revelation 22. Revelation chapter 22, the last chapter of the Bible the summation of all, uh, you know, we're just on a, uh, we're just on a journey from when God created Adam to the end of time, and we're just right in there somewhere in that timeline of history, and um, we don't know when Revelation chapter 22 is going to happen, could be in our lifetime, could be 100 years from now could be a thousand years from now. God knows the day and the hour. Amen? And we just need to be faithful to him. But anyway, uh, Revelation chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. Then he showed me the river of living water. So here's that river of living water again. And now it's not coming from our innermost being, but let's see where it's come, coming and where it's going. Then he showed me the river of living water, sparkling like crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the broad street of the city. On both sides of the river was a tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. So Revelation Chapter 22 talks about the final victory of God over all that is evil. Death and hell itself will be thrown into the lake of fire. And what will be the inheritance of those who love God? They will have a river of living water flowing directly from the throne of God. This is the Holy Spirit of God bringing life and healing where there will be no more sin and suffering forever and ever. This uh, river of living water comes directly from the throne of God. By the time it reaches you, if you're connected with God, there's no pollution. It's a sparkling, crystal clear river of God, direct from the throne of God. It doesn't go through any uh, intermediaries. There's nothing that's going to hinder it from being pure when it reaches you and when it reaches those trees that are on the side that are feeding from that water and giving healing and life. Um, and in, um, in uh, Ezekiel, I think it talks about that river. Uh, all the fish that are in it are going to live and, it, and it's going to go into the Dead Sea and everything in the Dead Sea is going to come back to life. And so uh, the Holy Spirit is, uh, is with us, and he's living, 
And uh, he, uh, he talks to us. Even when we don't want to make plane ticket changes, he can speak to us uh, because he's with us. Amen? And, uh, okay, so part three. So think about, you know, think about the Spirit as a, as a river of living water. Part three is a warning and a promise. So um, good messages should always have a, a warning in them. Uh, that's what I believe. Um, so here is a warning, okay? Even the disciples of Jesus who walked with Jesus could have a different spirit than the spirit of Jesus, than the Holy Spirit. So let's look at Luke 9, um, 54 to 55. Even, even the disciples of Jesus who walked with Jesus can have a different spirit. And sometimes we can give place to different spirits too, which is why I'm uh, giving this little warning here. So this is Luke 9, 54 to 55. When the disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. See, they had a different spirit, and Jesus had to rebuke them. They didn't have the Holy Spirit in this situation. Proverbs 10, 12, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it. Hatred stirs up conflicts, but love covers all offenses. Sometimes, um, sometimes we get offended. And um, love covers all offenses. Wow. You know, uh, for a marriage to succeed, you have to have love. Because uh, husbands and wives tend to be the ones that offend each other the most. Uh, because they're with each other 24-7. <laughs> and, uh, and they're different people. And they got different priorities. And they got different worldviews. And they got uh, hopefully the same Holy Spirit that uh, teaches us to love one another. Amen? And so, but you have to yield to the Holy Spirit. And uh, so anyway, Proverbs 10, 12. Hatred stirs up strife or conflict, but love covers all offenses. And that's a hard one to swallow because you want to get even. But uh, Jesus said, uh, I'm the judge. Don't be a judge of your brother and sister. Love your brother and sister. Don't hold a grudge against them. And uh, this is summed up in 1 Peter 4.8. Above all, maintain an intense love for one another. 1 Peter 4.8. Let's turn there. An intense love. What does the word intense mean? I think it means you got to work at it. Sometimes you just got to work at it. 
above all, maintain an intense love for each other, since love covers a multitude of sins. Thank you, Jesus. This is what I wrote uh, on a Facebook post to a friend of mine. It is sad to see fellow believers giving place to divisive spirits. The Father gave judgment to the Son because He's the only one that can handle it. Because He's impartial. Love covers a whole bunch of sins. Love forgives, forgets, and keeps no track of offenses. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Love God and love your neighbors. So that's my two cents worth. And we're going to end with a promise. Galatians 6.8. Oh, and then I'm going to read a, a quote I read the, last night when I was uh, reading a book. Galatians 6.8. The one who sows to his flesh will reap corruption from the flesh, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Remember, the Holy Spirit is a river of living water. And when you honor him, you will reap eternal life. Yes, I want eternal life. Thank you, Jesus. So I thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit that you've sent to be with us. Thank you, Father. So anyway, Jonathan Goforth, he was one of the most uh, famous missionaries to China in the early uh, 1900s. And uh, he was a Canadian and uh, from a very poor family. And uh, he got saved and, and went to a Bible school. And... Uh, most of the people in the Bible school were from the cities, and, and he was from a poor family. He had poor clothes, and uh, uh, all the Bible school students made fun of him because uh, he was just from the, you know, he wasn't like them. And, uh, but he had a passion for God. And um, meanwhile, there was, a, there was a young lady named Rosalind. She got saved, and... Uh, she prayed one day and she said, Lord, I want a husband that is totally sold out to you. And uh, she did that from the depths of her heart. I think the Holy Spirit inspired her. She said, Lord, I want a husband that is totally surrendered to you. And uh, one day they were in a uh, missions conference. Some missionary came to their, their town. Uh, I can't remember where it was. In, um, maybe it was in Toronto. Anyway, a missionary came. And they were both in the same church service. Uh, they didn't know each other. And, uh, and Jonathan was uh, sitting, sitting down, and one of the uh, uh, deacons came and said, hey, could you come with me for a few minutes? And he laid his Bible down in front of uh, the seat where Rosalind was sitting. And the Spirit of God spoke to Rosalind and said, prompted her to go pick up his Bible. And so she looked around and nobody was looking and she was she really felt it was the Holy Spirit. She went and picked up his Bible and she opened it up and she was totally flabbergasted. Every page had notes and and 
and everything was underlined, and there were notes on all the edges, and she looked everywhere, and the whole Bible was, it was all tattered and torn. It was obvious that he spent hours and hours and hours studying the Bible, and she was amazed, and she put it back. She, he didn't see that she, she did that, and, the, and, and she felt strongly that that's the person I'm supposed to marry. And uh, and so uh, he said he said to her, "If you marry me, do you promise that God's going to be number one in my life and you're going to be number two?" And she said, "Okay." And it says the first test was when they got engaged. She was expecting a nice engagement ring, and he said. Uh, I'm sorry I'm not going to get you an engagement ring, but the money that I had set aside for that, the Lord wants me to buy some Bibles to give away. And she went, okay. So anyway, to make a long story short, uh, they got into China in like 1896 or something, a couple years before the Boxer Rebellion when a lot of the uh, missionaries were killed and... Um, a lot of the local Christians were murdered. And uh, how he escaped with his life, uh, you can read the story. It's, uh, uh, he was uh, hit multiple times with, the, with, with the, the blunt end of a sword, almost decapitated him. Uh, somehow he escaped, uh, went back to Canada uh, for a year and recovered. And then they went back to... Uh, uh, China, and he was grieved because uh, he was a, a Presbyterian. He was minister, uh, uh, ordained through the Presbyterians, and the pres Presbyterians in China were all uh, uh, just uh, lukewarm, and uh, and uh, their theology was, you know, they didn't even believe that the Bible was the word of God. Uh, and Presbyterians are like that still to this day. And uh, he was just really grieved in his spirit. And and he was just crying out to God, and the Lord said, would you just, uh, uh, let me read the quote here. Jonathan felt the Lord impress on him that revival would be poured out on any servant that confessed their sins, repented, and was in an obedient in everything obedient in everything to the Holy Spirit. So this is what happened. The Lord said, I want you to start traveling all over China. He was in Hunan province. I want you to start traveling all over China. And uh, his wife had 11 kids. And um, seven of them had died because China at that time was not an easy place to live. And uh, he came to his wife and said, the Lord wants us to travel all over China. She says, I'm not going with you. There's disease, there's, uh, there's pollution, there's, uh, our kids will get sick if they go there. And uh, she said, I refuse to go. And he said, okay, I'll go without you. And, and he goes, and he's gone for two or three days, and he gets a, a telegram from his wife. I don't know how they communicated back then, but uh, my little my little 
baby Constance is sick. And so he rushes back and Constance dies. And and she sees that she's not she's not having faith in God. And so she she repented and she she went with Jonathan and the rest of the time they traveled all over China for many many years. And uh and none of the kids ever got ever died again. It doesn't say that none of them ever got sick, but none of them ever died again. And uh, he was totally sold out to the Holy Spirit. I don't know how to do that myself, uh, but I know I want to press into the Holy Spirit more and more. Amen.